Welcome to the Gospel Addict Podcast. I'm Greg Bryan. And I'm Jim Resky. We're gospel addicts because we believe the gospel of Jesus isn't just good news, it's the best news ever. We're addicted to the gospel because it doesn't just start us out in the Christian life, it is the Christian life. Join us as we look at the Bible through the lens of the gospel. Thanks so much for listening. And here we are, we're going back to Genesis. Should we dive into Genesis now? Yeah, sure, let's take a look. Okay. So we're going to just dive into Genesis chapter 12. I'll go ahead and read the first three verses, and then we'll make some comments. Uh, the, Lord's, the Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. The change from Genesis chapter 11 to Genesis chapter 12, the the shift that occurs, I heard, I read one, one guy say that it's a bigger shift than the shift between the Old and New Testament. Really? How so? I knew you were going to ask me that. Well, because it's such a it's it's a big division of where all of a sudden you see God is focusing from uh, from the beginning of the human race, um, the race as a whole, to now he's going to start focusing on the beginning of the the beginning of the Hebrew race and the family of Abraham. So, um, you know, there's there's just this massive shift that's occurring all of a sudden you know we're going to be focusing on abraham which is going to lead us down the path to jesus yeah so, that's absolutely right um the first 11 chapters of the history god's creation of the world and and then kind of some um other stories uh leading up to the tower of babel in chapter 11 which all kind of set the stage and then now you 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 go from the whole idea of how the earth was created, how civilization started, and God's plan for the world, the fall of mankind. And now you turn the corner from chapter 11 from to redemption problems to now the story of one family, right? Um, you kind of leave that. And then the next from 12 to 24 is just the story of Abraham and Abraham's family. And that's really the story for the rest of the book. And that sets the stage for the whole rest of the Bible as well. So, um, that pattern, creation, fall, redemption. Uh, you know, there's creation, there's the fall, and there's the plan of redemption, which is a pattern, by the way, in your own Christian, your own personal life. You, you're born as creation, fall, you realize your sinfulness as redemption for us, right? Uh, creation, fall, creation, fall, I'm not, you know, falls in, you know, sin, and then, uh, and then a story of redemption. Yeah, so Genesis chapter 12, we start, it's like the beginning of the story of redemption. Right. Genesis 1 to 11 is focused on the creation and the fall. And now we get to see the, the beginning of the story of redemption. So, yeah. Um, yeah. What, well, what are your overall thoughts about Genesis chapter 12? Well, you know, I just would tell you, kind of getting in, because I'm getting ready to speak on a couple of these, on these chapters, 12 through 24, basically the life of Abraham. So, um, the, uh, a, uh, one of my primary researchers is uh, Tim Keller, and I should have mentioned this in my own personal story and my understanding of the gospel because it was going through 
to Tim Keller's church in Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City. When we, my wife and I lived in New York City, that was where I really started to really get the gospel into my life. And what God was really, the Holy Spirit was really revealing that to me through the ministry of Tim Keller. So I owe him so much. But then listening to uh, sermons of his recently to get ready to, to talk about this, uh, to understand it better. And he made a couple points, uh, actually leading up from chapter 11, which we won't read, but in Genesis 11, there's the, this whole the famous story of the Tower of Babel, where people are building this tower for themselves. And they say, you know, we're going to make ourselves a name. We're going to make for ourselves a name. Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the course of the earth. So they're going to give themselves a name so they don't get scattered. And this, this, this is a common, a lot of people will know, who will know the story uh, because it's uh, often told to uh, children. So it's kind of a cute story. Um, and it's a, a Sunday school or wherever your tradition is. Uh, the God comes down and confuses their language and they all start speaking different languages to each other. That's why it's called the Tower of Babel and where we get the word like babbling uh, ever since. Um, and so they can't, they, their speech is confused and then they're all scattered. So the very thing they didn't want to be scattered is kind of what happens to them. They don't get a name for themselves, they're scattered. Uh, and then you come to Abraham and God says, I'm going to give you a name. You're not going to give it. I'm looking for a name for himself. I'm going to give you a name. And But first I'm going to scatter you. So I want you to go. Uh, and I want you to leave. And when Keller talked about this, he went first. I thought this, I, I would never have got this. So the very last few verses in in chapter 11 beforehand, because it starts with Abraham's father named Terah. And uh, Terah, it says here, um, had moved out. Let's This is chapter 11, verse 31. Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, that's Abraham's wife. And they went out together from Ur of the Chaldeans in order to enter the land of Canaan. So it's not really written here, but some Terah was going to the promised land. God was moving him there. And then it says, and they went as far as Haran and they settled there. So they said, that's good enough. It's close enough. They didn't really go to the promised land. And the Bible didn't really tell what was going on with God and Terah in any way. But you do get a glimpse in the book of Judges, and I have, no, Joshua, Joshua 24, verse 2, Joshua says actually that, um, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, from ancient times, your fathers lived beyond the river, namely Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nahor, and they served other gods. So Terah, this whole family, is living in Ur of the Chaldeans, which I think is in modern-day Iran. And they're supposed to go to Canaan, but they don't. They go a little ways, and then they stop. And so God comes to Abraham at the beginning of verse 12, the verses you were reading, and he says, go. I want you to go, and I want you to go. And I want you, even if you're leaving your family, I want you to go. And not just leave this land, but leave leave your family uh, uh, and and, and go because the family was probably involved. I mean, Ur was a um, the, the land they were in, Ur was already revolved around moon worship, the worship of the moon. Yeah, and so they were all when Joshua said they're worshiping foreign gods, it was probably a cult of moon worship. Um, oh, and I thought this is interesting, Greg, because Keller points this out. He said, At this point in the story, God has created his creation, fall, redemption, right? God has created mankind. There's the fall, the kind of the belief in God is kind of petered out. Like the world has gotten so bad that God brings the flood. 
But even after that, the belief in God is kind of all petered out. And the, the, the metaphor Keller used is that basically the last, the flicker, the last candle of belief in God has kind of gone out. And mm-hmm. God is coming back in to reignite that. And it's not, it's, and it's spiritual and physical because God says, I'm going to rekindle that candle of belief in God by choosing someone named Abraham. Who isn't choosing me, I'm choosing him. But he had, a, but also, if, I'm going to create a great nation. So I'm going, to, I'm going to make a name for you. But his wife has been barren. His wife can't have children. So, so I, I got to, I'm going to rekindle this flame, but I'm going to do it through someone who can't even, I'm going to create a great nation out of you, but I can't even do it physically because, or I have to overcome, God first has overcome that because Sarah can't have children. So anyway, all of that is kind of backdrop background to God's call of Abraham and Abraham's life. And I thought that was fascinating and worth, and worth re, uh, recanting here, recounting here. Yeah, that's uh, really interesting stuff. I think it's modern day Iraq. Is it Iraq, not Iran? Oh my goodness. I'm going to apologize to my Iranian and Iraqi friends that's, and any of our listeners. That's, that's what I, that's what I uh, learned from uh gotquestions.org or got.com, whatever it is. You're fact checking um, me in real time, Greg. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Lord knows I need that. When verse one, when he says, go from your country, your people, your father's household to the land I will show you, he is, God is asking him to give up everything, right. to leave everything. His, right. his, um, his father's household, um that would include his father's gods everything and just go yeah i mean that's like it's it's really shocking you know and you know verse four it says so abram went as the lord had told him and lot went with him and he was 75 years old when he set out for her set out from haran um right and Hebrews 11, verse 8, amplifies that and says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. And I think the old translations say, he went out not knowing whither he went. Hmm. Didn't know, but I'll, but he was going to go anyway. Um, that's like a whole talk right there, Greg. Because like when we follow God, he's like, I'll follow you, but I want to the plan first, right? If you just show me all the way it's going to work and all these things. You know, I just asked you a question not long ago about a sliding glass doors kind of question. Is there anything in life of doing something different? Do you ever regret anything, a different path in life, a road not taken? And I, um, when I ask you that, I think I often in my own life think, well, what if things have been different? What if I'd have gone a different way and made some different decisions? And then just recently, I think God's been helping with that because I think, you know, when I was a much younger as a young Christian, I really did pray this this line because I, I read in a Christian book somewhere. I, I said, Lord, move me about on life's checkerboard, wherever you want to move me. Hmm. And then, you know, I just like, you're, you're the one to control, you do it. And um, and he did. And so we moved out. We lived in New York City for a while. We lived in Boston, D.C., New York City, back here in the, the Midwestern United States. And God's moved us around all kinds of places. And then I look back and say, geez, would life have been better? some other way. And I'm, I'm recently thinking, wait a second, you prayed to be moved around. You you asked God to move you around wherever you, you know, and um, and he's done that. And so that's his plan unfolding for me. He didn't, he, 
God doesn't unfold it for you up front. It takes, you know, God's, this Abram's a great story for that, right? You, I imagine you felt that in ministry too, some, you know, in your life. And God says, just go and start. And you don't know where it's going to end. You don't know how it's going to go. Yeah, I mean, I've had those same thoughts. And the more and more I reflect on it, the more I see the goodness and hand of God and how he directed my steps. You know, yeah. I, I love that Proverbs 16, 9, where it says, in his heart, a man plans his course but the Lord determines his steps. It's great. I, I love that because it's like, it looks, you know, we think that we make plans, but, um, right. and we do make plans, but a lot of times our plans don't work out the way we think that, that they, they should, but ultimately the Lord directs our steps. Well, so, that's where all Genesis is going. Cause at the end, when Joseph is betrayed by his brothers and ends up, you know, running Egypt and saving the whole world from famine, Meets his brothers again. Remember that? And he says, yeah. you, meant, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. It's kind of the capstone verse of the whole book of Genesis. Where there's all these evil things going on. This is worship of the moon, whatever it is. All kinds of things going on. It's like, yep. And uh, from the fall, from you know the, the serpent in the garden, the you know, first sin, all the way through here, like... Uh, humankind is continually turning its back on the Lord. Mm. There's so much wickedness and evil. And God says, it's on my plan. Is, and yet my plan is still unfolding. He meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Yeah. It's interesting that, it, you know, this chapter, it's like God is the one who speaks to Abram, but then Abram takes his whole family. You know, he takes, he takes his wife and his nephew, all their possessions and and they head out and yeah. there's like nobody's nobody questions nobody questions it um then god gives them this promise in verse seven to your offspring i will give this land and so instead of settling in the land he builds an altar um which is kind of cool hmm. yeah, yeah so some of the commentators i read so that's like a marker right so it's not Maybe it's not, it's not like a temple or it's not permanent, but it's a marker to say, you know, Lord, I'm here and I'm in the place you want me to be. And, you know. Um, yeah, but then he continues because verse 10 says there was a famine. So he ends up going down to Egypt. And what did you, what do you make of this section where he uh, tells his wife, hey, you're a beautiful woman, which I read one commentator said she's like 60 years old at this point. Right. She and must have been really stunningly beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. And then um, it happens again a couple of chapters later. Um, and then she, I think she's even older because she's, she's uh, had the baby by then. So she must have been just astonishingly beautiful. Right. Um, and thankfully, by the way, it probably was not a culture as youth focused as we are now. Right. And Western culture in particular was so focused on youth is king. And I think these other cultures had a better, healthier perspective on that, that there could be beauty your whole life. And I think that that's actually a flaw here, but of Western culture. So do but you I think there's anything, reason. anything we're supposed to make of this? Like just, are we just seeing that Abram's just, you know, a flawed human being here? Yes. Yes. It's, it brings up a massively important point because you, you can absolutely, especially if you're on the single line, like we were talking about, you read all these passages as examples for us to follow. So Abraham, with three major world religions, a huge portion of the human race looked to Abraham as their father, right? Yeah. Islam, Judaism, and Christianity all look back to Abraham. 
And yeah, he's kind of like a hero, right? Absolutely. So if you want to be close to God, and and, and there's a that pastor will find somewhere where God speaks to him like a friend, right? So I mean, like if you want to be close to God, if you want to be, you know, try to be like be be like Abraham because he's an example for us to follow. And you can read the Old Testament that way. These are stories of inspirational stories to show us the way, and they're not. He, he things like this show you that he was a complete recipient of free grace god calls him out of a family that's doing moon worship or something else and says i'm going to build a great nation out of you why because i choose to because i love you not because you earned it or you're good he's not our example to follow there are great lessons from his life we can learn about right incredible lessons but these stories are not primarily examples for us to follow they're showing us the pattern of salvation which is that he is the complete recipient of god's free grace and that's I'm glad you brought it up, Craig, because it's a huge lesson to take right from here. Is he makes his, and he doesn't learn from me. He does it again a few chapters later, right? I'm gonna save my own skin by giving my wife to someone else, and um, you know, it's uh, not meant to be an example for us to follow. That's for sure. Yeah. What do you think? Any any thoughts you have on this story? I actually agree with what you said. I I think it is a great reminder that Abraham, that, yeah, we shouldn't strive necessarily to be like Abraham. He was a flawed human being like, like we are. Right. Um, but he was the, but you also see God's, so you see God's grace in that, right? That yeah. he was able to make mistakes, but he was still, um, walking by faith and, and following God because actually what he does here is not, there's 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 kind of a different way you can look at it because he's not exactly lying because she was a relative. Um, she was a half sister, and and it comes out in the next story when he does it again, and he says, "Besides, she really is, you know, uh, I think same father, different mother, right?" Yeah, but there is some deceit, deceitfulness in it for sure. So yes. it's it's it definitely shows. Uh, abraham's flaws do you want to continue on and uh yeah so this that... is one question about this it's not, one observation i didn't see this in the commentaries greg and i don't know if there's a good answer to it but pharaoh has some sense of morality and justice which i think is interesting pharaoh doesn't say that pharaoh already has many wives or the polygamy was certainly common in that culture pharaoh just you know hey this beautiful woman comes into my country i'll just take her as a wife and that's mm -hmm. fine and he and in culture in culturally if we could kill the husband that's fine too take a wife um Maybe it's like wife 1001, probably was. It doesn't really say here that Pharaoh's already had a many wives, but, you know, that was common at the time. But taking someone else's wife, now that's bad. And Pharaoh really comes down hard on Abraham and Abram at this point. In verse 18, what is this you've done to me? Why did you tell me she was your wife? Like, it's obviously immoral. Like, he has a moral compass. Pharaoh of Egypt has a moral compass, right? It says, you know... Despite all these other things, that's flat out wrong. And how dare you do this to me? You should have known better to do that, right? Of all the other things they're doing in society, you know, whatever it is, they he still knew that that was somehow wrong. He didn't have the Ten Commandments. He wasn't, you know, uh, uh, wasn't Jewish. You know, just uh, probably had some other kinds of gods, but somehow then knew that that was that was immoral at the time. It really struck him as immoral. Yeah, no, that's a that is an interesting point. 
you know, this pagan king had to rebuke Abraham. <laughs> right. And he didn't say, well, I'm the son of king. I can make it moral by waving my hand. I'll like, take your wife too and I'll kill you now. And um, I'll take what I want. Uh, and uh, you lied so off with your head and now she's my wife. And he wasn't cavalier towards a moral code. He felt like there is a moral standard and I am obligated to keep it. And I can't, you know, here, take her back. <laughs> um but go away. But if he said he definitely had so I feel like there is a moral standard in this world, and I am obligated to follow it. And there are consequences if I break it. That so somehow they in essence imply the story. He knows that they obviously this sickness and plagues. Somehow he figures and deduces it's because there's this woman here, and I'm in sin because she's not my wife, she's someone else's wife. Like this, he knows that's the cause and effect. It's not explicit here at all, but he gets that somehow. And um wants to put a stop to it this this sin in his life it's really interesting because you can think about what well, we you and i you know you're you're a full-time christian worker you're trying to convince people you're you're a sinner and you need jesus right and uh, the threshold in this our culture today i'm not a sinner where do you come off telling me i'm a sinner get lost <laughs> right and but there is a moral code everybody knows uh when you get down to it no there's there's a moral code out there somewhere it's apart from me and I've broken it. Even my own moral standards I haven't kept. And this their story of Pharaoh, I thought was fascinating, a little microcosm of that. Um in in an ancient Egyptian culture where, where he would have had his own, you know, Egyptian religions, but not um certainly not Judeo uh the Jewish Ten Commandments or anything like that. Mm. No, anyway, that's no, that's really, really good. Interesting. Well, a side observation. But before that, before that rebuke in verse sixteen, it says that uh, God treated Abram well for her, or, or actually Pharaoh treated Abram well for her sake. Yeah. So yeah. you see, God bless Abraham even even when he didn't do what he should have done. You know, God yeah, continued to protect him. Right. And even when Abram acted like a liar, God didn't call back his promise to Abraham because the promise didn't depend on. The promise depended on God, not on Abram. That's right. That's right. He's the source of all it, not not rewarding Abraham for good behavior, um, but God blessing because God wants to bless him. The um, the other thing that people read this, even the casual reader picks up is that, and the commentators are going to pick this up too. They said that this is basically a precursor of Moses um, uh, and the uh, leading the uh, 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 Jewish captive nation out of the uh, out of Egypt because uh just like uh in that story here Abraham gets great wealth and is able to is, the plagues come to the Pharaoh and the Pharaoh kicks him out but he gets to keep all his wealth. That's yeah. exactly what right um after 400 years of captivity they grow to about a million people and there are plagues the Pharaoh kicks them out and they walk out with great plunder the Bible says great wealth. It's a very it's a pre-shadow of what's the word I'm looking for foreshadowing of things to come yeah. so yeah so uh what about chapter 13 abram and lot this yeah this is interesting i'm still studying this and trying to get to it but i do a couple thoughts one is that this is so that we won't read it now but if anyone goes back and read it abram and lot are both getting really wealthy because god's blessing them both um, then they got a problem, not because they're in sin, but because of God's blessing. 
because they both have tons and tons of stuff, livestock possessions, people are there, they, each of their teams are, are quarreling with each other. So they, the land signed up to support both of them. They got to separate. And Abraham is the, the senior, the older, who absolutely had the right to say, all right, I'm the older one. You're the younger. I'm taking the good land. You get lost. But he gives Lot the choice, which uh, I'm not sure what the significance of that is, but commentators have noticed that. I remember that. To say he doesn't have to do that. He ordinarily would not have done that. No one else would have done that. But he gives Lot the option and says, Lot, you you get to choose wherever you want to go. And in verse 9, he says, is not the whole land before you. Please separate from me. If to the left, then I will go to the right. Or if to the right, then I will go to the left. So totally your option. And I'll I'll obey what you say, which is the younger serving the older, which is another thing that comes up later in Genesis, right? Um, with Jacob and Esau. And then the rest of the story is that Lot looks up and says, well, it's pretty obvious. They're, they're standing at a high point. This one over here, the valley over here is nice and green and lush. It's well, well watered everywhere. The Valley of the Jordan in verse 10, well watered everywhere. Uh, and um, yeah, there's some bad cities in there called Sodom and Gomorrah, but we won't worry about that now. And I'll take that. Thank you very much. And, a and Abram says, okay, you take that and I'll go, I'll go the, the other way. So maybe it's a commentary on Abram's faith that he, uh, regardless of which way he, that he knew God was going to take care of him or he could trust God, um, whichever, whichever direction or whatever land he got to choose. Yeah, I think you're right. And I, and I definitely think that the, the um, the verse, you know, walk by faith and not by sight comes up. Uh, verse 10 said, Lot lifted up his eyes and saw all the valley of the Jordan. So Lot was clearly walking by sight and not by faith, thinking if I want to keep building my wealth, I've got to get in this desert climate. I need to get the place that's well watered and lush and green, right? And it's interesting that that ends up being a bad choice. Horrible choice. And he ends up losing <laughs> his family, losing everything. Which, which is which is so true. When we walk by sight, how often do we make the wrong choice? Yeah. Yeah, and he was willing to overlook all the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah, all that, and just say, well, it's going to bring me wealth and pros prosperity, so I'll overlook all that. And it, it's his undoing um, in the end. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, and God still has great promises to Abram at the end of chapter 13. You know, um, essentially, they're also very territorial promises. I'll give you this land. And your descendants forever, and uh, there are times, and there there are times when, in the, the history of the Old Testament, where under different kings, David and others, they took more of this land. But they never got. There's never been a time in history where all this land was um, given to Abraham and his descendants. So, um, some people look at that and say, "Well, it's still a question of prophecy that may still yet to be fulfilled." But who knows? Yeah. So do you want to continue on? You know, let's do one. Let's just do 15. Okay. Um, yeah. 15 is a great, great chapter. Yeah. Why don't you start? Because the so we, 15... well, well, so let's just summarize 14. So then Abraham ends up having to rescue Lot. Yeah. And then he runs into this guy named uh, Melchizedek, the king of Salem, which is a yes. <laughs> very interesting encounter. But then we get to chapter 15 where um, God 
speaks to him, Abraham in a vision. So do you want to read it? Yeah, I'll, I'll start reading it. And um, let's just talk about it a little bit, because I know we've talked about this before. Um, this is uh, uh, Genesis 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram. Oh, for the listener, we should say, at this point, he's called Abram, and then later he's called Abraham. So uh, you can do that. Um, hey, actually, Greg, why don't you go ahead and read, if you don't mind. <laughs> okay. Um, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield your very great re reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one whom, who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, You've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. The word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. So he took him outside and said, look up into the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of the Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land and to take possession of it. But Abraham said, sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abraham brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged them in halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abraham drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abraham fell into a deep sleep, and the and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not of their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation that they, they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will not go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a you, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not reached its full measure, has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham and said, To your descendants, I will give this land. From the wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Canaanites, Kezizites, Kadamites, Hittites, Perez, Parasites, Raphaites, Amorites, Canaanites, Gashites, and Jebusites. Wow. That's a lot of sites. That's a lot of sites. And the Mosquito Bites. <laughs> anyway what, a, what an amazing uh, uh yeah we've talked about this this is a, a powerful passage where he makes this god makes a covenant with abraham um so yeah talk talk us through that jim explain what's happening here 
Well, a couple of things, I think, because the ceremony is fascinating in itself. Um, again, I think illuminated for me for initially this, this uh, sermon from Tim Keller and then hear others talking about it, too. Um, but before you get to that, there's this incredible moment of doubt, right? Because God says, comes to him and says, look at the heavens and count the stars if you're able to count them in verse five. And so shall your descendants be. But God has said those words to him before. And and it's, it is, this starts with Abraham in verse two saying, you know, God's saying, you're going to have a great reward. God says, what are you going to give me? I'm childless. You said I was going to have an heir, but I still don't. And um, he must have done some kind of estate planning because he knew that already he was going to give his estate to it's going to be Eliezer of Damascus. So he already did some kind of will and trust and estates planning, whatever. And um, God repeats this promise. And, and then verse, this is such an interesting contrast, Greg, because in verse six, this verse is quoted later in Hebrews. It says, then he believed in the Lord and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. And that's a cornerstone verse of the Protestant Reformation because Martin Luther really hung on that and really got me really, really dug into that and understood it and saying, wait a second, it's from belief in the Lord. It's from faith that you get righteousness, not from your own works and effort, right? God is declaring you righteous because of what he did. And this isn't great. In verse six, he believed the Lord and the Lord reckoned it to Abraham as, as a righteousness, right? So he's great faith, right? Wonderful. But then a few verses later, verse right, right well, so the next verse, God says, I'm going to give you this land. And then verse eight, this is just the astonishing verse for me because he doubts God right to his face. God says, I'm going to give you this land to possess it. And then Abraham says, how may I know that I will possess it? Mm. The chutzpah, can you believe it? I mean, God has just said it, you know, it's like, and he's almost like he's saying, yeah, I hear you. You said that before years ago. I still don't have an heir. I still don't have any kids. I'm getting old. And I know you keep saying that. And I believe it. You know, and, and two verses ago, you believe the Lord. And, but now it's like, yeah, how do I know? It's this incredible doubt, right? It's true. Yeah. yeah. Well, it we gives do hope the to same thing, ever. though. We do What's the that? same thing. Hey, you well, think we do this? Yeah. We say, oh, yeah. yeah, God, I believe it. I believe, you know, when I hear you say that. But five minutes later, I'm not sure. Can you prove that to me? Well, there's that <laughs> New Testament story where Jesus said uh, to the guy who wants the, I think it's, you remember the story? Where the, the guy says to Jesus, I do believe, help me my unbelief. Right. Yeah. You know, that's, that's, that story and this are really comforters to all of us who have doubts from time to time. Because everybody has doubts. And then people have serious doubts. They say, maybe I, I'm not sure I believe it. I don't know. Well, you know, you're in good company because Abraham, patriarch of the faith, doubted God and doubted God right to his face, right? So, and God, and God could have zapped him right there and said, I don't need to take this from someone like you. You know, I'm sovereign king and Lord and you're not, and I'm just going to zap you off the face of the earth. But he doesn't. Um, he goes into this kind of ancient ceremony. So do you want to talk about that a little bit, Greg, and what the ceremony meant and how that worked? Well, it was a covenant. Usually it was a covenant between two parties. And so they would slaughter these animals and then walk between them. And basically their covenant was that um, they were each saying to each other, uh, we will keep this covenant. If we don't, we will be, you know, um, we just, we just, how would you say it? We deserve to be slaughtered just like these animals do. Yeah, may it be done to me. Yeah, may this be done to me. If I, if I break our, this covenant. But the amazing right. thing about this particular 
thing. Abraham was probably sitting there waiting for him to be called to walk through the, uh, to walk between the pieces. But only God walks through the pieces. Yeah, that's, that's and exactly so, right. Yeah, and so, it, yeah, so what's the, what's the, uh, the, the uh, key point here? Well, the key point is that you're right. If two peers making this contract, they both had walked between the the pieces. If a king was making it with a subject, the king would have made the subject walk to the pieces, but the king would never have walked to the pieces, right? They, they would have said, you pledge to me, but I'm the, king, I'm the king, I don't pledge to you. So you're right. That's what Abraham would have expected, but he sits there. God shows up at the end and God passes through the pieces and then the ceremony ends and God never even makes Abraham pass through the pieces himself. So God, it's, and how does, I want to make sure I get this right. God's like saying, look, if, um, if, if you don't, if I don't keep my pen of the bargain to you, my covenant promise to you, Abraham, I'm making a covenant with you. I'm going to make you a great nation. If I don't keep it, may I be cut up like this. But if you don't keep your end of the bargain either, may I be cut up like this. So and God, ultimately God saying, he was. And, and exactly, exactly. And ultimately he was because it, it all points to Jesus. Amen. Amen. Who would, who had to be cut up for, um, for all of us in order for us to be, you know, redeemed back to God. Right. That's right. That's right. Isaiah, I think, uh, talks about that, how he was cut off. Uh, he's cut off from the land of living. Look on the cross. Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was united with the father from all eternity, all eternity past. And on the, on the cross, the father turns his back on Jesus, right? So God, God is the one who says, I, this is my covenant. I will keep, absolutely keep my promise with you. And if, if even though you do not keep your end of the bargain, I will keep it for you in your place. And that's when they say, when does God ever suffer that? And in no religion, God ever comes down and does this. No one, God is always the king on top of the mountain. Only in Christianity is God says, I'm the one that comes down and I will, I will suffer this for you in your place. That's the distinctive and the offer of Christianity, right? Mm, yep. Yep. That is it. That yeah. is it. And so here we see all the way back in Genesis, a foreshadowing of what Christ was going to do. Um, I heard somebody recently talk about how the Bible is all about us and our struggles to trust and, um, and our insecurity oh wow and, and fears yeah and how uh it's it's all about like are we going to walk in fear or are we going to walk by faith how do we handle insecurity and it's all about trust and if you it's look at the life of abraham it's all about trust well he goes in egypt and he's afraid they're going to kill him so he says here take my wife say you're my sister he does it again later right um, there's a good moment where he says, so you know what, Lot, you can have the green land. I'm trusting God. And then later he gets this right here in these passages we just read, you know, God says, I'm going to give you all this stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He keeps saying that, but how do I know? You know, it's just so that, right? Doubt, yeah. right? Yep. And how, and Insecurity. Yeah. Insecurity, fears, and trust. And this person's, uh, you know, makes a big point because a lot of times we, we say, well, what's the biggest issue in the book of Genesis or in the Bible as a whole, it's our sin, right? It's it's us, it's it's our sin. But he he says, no, it's not our sin. Sin is the result of our lack of trust, our insecurity, 
or our, or or giving into our fears. Yeah. Yeah. That we shouldn't focus on sin. We should focus on we should focus on the you know lack of uh, trust. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's pretty cool. But I also think this is a great uh place to to pause and stop. Um because it's a, a, a powerful reminder of what God was going to ultimately do and how he was willing to keep his end of the, the bargain that even though we, we failed him, um, he was broken for us so that we might be redeemed. Yeah. It's Isaiah 53. I'll just read this Isaiah, Isaiah 53 verses five and six, but he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging, we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Uh, one more verse. I, I say 53, verse 10. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief, if he would render it to himself as a guilt offering. So it makes us out of gospel addicts, Greg. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Gospel Addict Podcast. Feel free to contact us via email at gospeladdictpodcast at gmail.com. Stay tuned for our next episode. And remember, on your worst days, you're never beyond the reach of God's grace. And on your best days, you're never beyond the need of God's grace. See you next time.